Lord, there is nothing more satisfying to our souls than to behold you, to, to behold our God. We are in awe of your grace and your goodness. We have been radically changed by your love. And we can't help but sing. We, we love you, Lord. We love you. We love to look at you. We love to see your face. And we, when we see you, we see Jesus. The face of love. Oh, Lord, what you have given us in the remembrance of this week, this, this journey through these seven days of shaking history, dividing it down the middle, the fulfillment of all of the prophecies that anticipated this, this moment, victory, the, the, the kind of redemption that everyone needed and no one knew they needed far greater than any political deliverance, we have a spiritual deliverance, a salvation of the soul greater than death, greater than sin, greater than hell or Satan. Life, Lord, and freedom, redemption. We worship you, O God, of this story for your goodness in writing it, for uh, the, the way that you have been so patient with us as we live it. And the way that you are faithful, Lord, that, that faithful, steadfast love and grace meets us once again today. Oh, move in this place now as we dig into your word. Open our eyes to see you, to see your glory, to see your, your face in the face of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 this morning. I always love how the Lord times out these things. When we set the plan up, when I was talking with the Lord and working through on a, on a plan for preaching, I had no thought really of Palm Sunday and how it would connect with the final sermon in the book of Ruth. Uh, but it couldn't be a better setup. This is the perfect sermon for Palm Sunday. And I think you'll see that as we move through it today. Ruth chapter 4, we're going to be covering the remaining verses. I, I titled the sermon, The Redemption Child. And I uh, just want to move through these verses little by little as we typically do. We just start at the beginning of a book and take as long as it needs to, to go to the end. And we try to cover all the verses in between. And so Ruth chapter 4, we'll begin with verse 13, what I'm calling... A painfully short verse, okay? Painfully short. You'll see what I mean here soon. Uh, so Ruth took Boaz, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, if you have been journeying with us through the story of Ruth, you know the detail that we've experienced in some of these things. I mean, we've gone up close through one day and, and lived it with Ruth, and, and yet now... We are fast-forwarding like a stone just skipping across the surface. We move so quickly through these things. I was daydreaming in my office this past week. What if there were 40 chapters in the book of Ruth? Imagine the detail, the things we could glory in in all of this. 
certainly not to question the Lord and his plan for this book. Four chapters is exactly what he intended because these four chapters and every word in them have a goal, a purpose. They're pointing us to something, someone. We're going to see that. So with tremendous precision, we just move through this story and fast forward the tape to this point that we're going to experience. But let's just pause and, and enter in to the first part of this verse and consider some of these things. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. This is no ordinary wedding in Bethlehem. This was a special wedding, a very different kind of wedding, in fact. Here you have Boaz. I studied a little more this week to try to understand if this man was already married or not, and, and the vast majority of people would say that, that he was, in fact, not married. He was a very eligible bachelor who was not young, but uh, was extremely happy that the Lord had provided for him a wife. And so, most likely, this was uh, the first wedding for Boaz that he had ever experienced. And you see this uh, gathering together. You can imagine the small town dynamic. Remember how when Ruth first hit the scene, everybody knew it before she was even to the middle of the city. The, the word travels fast in a little town like Bethlehem. However, their first assessment of this foreigner has radically changed, hasn't it? This is not the person they first saw. When Ruth came into Bethlehem a while ago, she came in as a foreigner, a Moabite nonetheless, despised, looked down upon, and she came in as the widow of a man who broke the law of God and likely perished at the hand of God for it. That he would take a foreign wife, directly disobeying the command of God because of the fear of how a foreign wife would lead him away from the Lord to the gods of Moab. And here is Ruth coming into Bethlehem. This small town saw Ruth as a beggar, one who was forced to glean to survive. She was just on the very edge of those who were begging because she was a foreigner, a widow, a Moabite. And then things began to change as the story was told. Well, why is she here anyway? What right does she have to be in our town? Well, did you hear? She pledged herself to Naomi, to be faithful to Naomi, to take care of Naomi. Oh, really? And all of a sudden, the character of this foreigner begins to be made known. Her loyal love, faithfulness, and kindness to Naomi is renowned throughout this area now. And now, she is the bride. Imagine the wedding. Imagine the the festivities, the gathering. This would have been a big deal in Bethlehem. You you have this sense as you read through the book of Ruth that the townspeople move from this stiff arm of Ruth to this, they just love her. They absolutely love what God is doing. They love Boaz, they love Ruth, and this wedding would have been one significant event in the life of the townspeople of Bethlehem. She is a stranger no more. No longer a beggar, no longer forced to glean, no longer a widow. Hmm. 
She's become known. It was interesting as I was studying, someone mentioned this, and, and, and I found it fascinating. They said, you know, it's interesting that the, the, the book of this, uh, the name of this book is, is Ruth. If you really think about, as you read through, so much of the focus is on Boaz. And you could almost see it titled Naomi, the book of Naomi, because so much of the story is about Naomi. But the fact that this book carries the name of a foreigner, a Moabite, a widow, is a statement, I believe, of God, of what he can do in his grace, of how he can take the Gentiles and bring them into the epicenter of his plan of redemption, writing Ruth into the very fabric of the genealogy of Jesus Christ by his grace. That's good news, friends, because we're here today. And most of us share this Gentile experience with Ruth. Who are we to come and worship this great Yahweh God? We are doubly blessed to be grafted in by grace to the root of salvation that we have through Jesus. Now, one reminder as well, this is not Ruth's first marriage. It's her second marriage. This is the second time down the aisle. Now, the first time down the aisle was a wedding that you might say didn't honor God. It was directly done in opposition to the will of God. It was against his will. It was, it was against his commandment. It would be easy for Ruth to carry that around as shame. Even to struggle to enter into joy into what she was currently experiencing because of her past. Just remind us here, some of you have been through horrible experiences. Some of you had made decisions that you regret. Even sinful choices, violating the very will of God, knowingly so. And you look and you carry those decisions and it's, it's like it's just this weight on your shoulders. You've got to remember that God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than all your sin. There's forgiveness. Ruth walks down the aisle, a changed woman. She is not a a Moabite in that sense any longer. She is a child of God, seeking His will now, looking back and saying, oh, how I learned. This is so much different now. God has opened this door for her to be remarried in His will, under His blessing. And she enters in with total joy. So yeah, God is a God who delights in second weddings. If you're on a a marriage that's not your first, and you're in that marriage and you struggle with memories of the past, of a first marriage, gone awry, I want to encourage you today, God's grace is lavish for you. And He delights in the vow that you have made. Honor Him. Please Him. Follow Him. Be faithful to the vow till death do you part. It's His will for your life. Don't carry the weight of past choices. Don't let them burden you down. God's grace is greater. And Ruth marries a man 
who is altogether different than the first man she married. Praise God for that. He's a worthy man. And if there was ever a question of that, their behavior has proven this time and time again through this story. The, the character of both Boaz and Ruth, a noble woman. God honoring choices, careful to obey his will, not to rush things, don't run ahead of him, don't turn his plan around backwards, trust him, wait for him, let him open the door, do what's right, don't disregard the one who's before you, Boaz, go to the gate, right, conduct the business, trust the Lord, get the sandal from the man like we saw last week, now you are free to follow the process as the Lord has opened the door. Reminds us that in the Scriptures we have an order to things. There's a God-blessed, God-designed order. First, the vow, right? First, the covenant. Put that first. Oh, in our world, that is not the message, is it? You Christians are all archaic and backwards. You think that you're supposed to be married before you can have sexual interaction? How old school is that? I would say, how wonderful is that? How biblical is that? Listen, God's design for your life is for your good. He's not trying to rain on your parade. Oh, it's always better to live within the, the castle walls of the vow, the covenant, and then consummation. That level of intimacy is reserved for the, the, the walls of marriage, the vow, the protection of that. One man, one woman, to be clear. God's design for your good. We need marriages that shout the best of God to a context and a culture that is just fumbling around in the dark, unsure of what true love even looks like these days. Now, the second half of verse 13, he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Again, you would wish that there was a little bit more of this verse to build out the journey from the wedding to the birthday, right? There's, there's more detail that you're longing for. Think nine months at least have taken place here. How did it go? And, and they're in love and they're married and Yes, it's awesome. Strolling through the fields. Someday we're going to ask him. Tell us about it. We all sit down together, right? Boaz and Ruth, give us, give us the rest of the story. That's why we need forever as well, right? Eternal life has a lot of goals. This is one of mine. I want to know more of the story. Hmm. Now there's great uncertainty. You remember that Ruth was married for 10 years to Malon, no children. This is long before the medical advances that we know today. They, they didn't have the ability to understand, well, what's wrong? Is, is something not working correct? And is there adjustments that can be made? And, and all of that, that, there was just no children. And so Ruth isn't sure if, if it's her or if it was Malon. And now she's married again. And, and there's a lot of emphasis here on the future and, and the name. 
great uncertainty. Notice what the author of this book does in this verse. Different than much of the other storytelling that he gives, he explicitly points out the hand of God. He says it. The Lord gave her conception. As if to say, yes, this was not just an ordinary interaction. This was a special work of God. The Lord gave her conception. It's another pronouncement of the sovereign hand of God in our lives. He is big enough to open the womb of, of one that was closed for 10 years. No children for 10 years. Marriage and pregnant. Just like that. God can do that. And God is pointed out very specifically here. His hand accomplished an amazing conception. She bore a son. Now, remember where we're at. We're in Bethlehem. Okay, a, a baby boy born in Bethlehem. An astounding conception. That sort of reminds me of another story. I, I you know, kind of around Christmas time, a manger, Bethlehem, a virgin conceiving. Who does that? Who's big enough to do that? God. The same God. All those years later. You see, what we have in this story is not only the actual events that are unfolding, but we have a pointer. We have a microcosm of a greater story of redemption taking place. God's big enough to write two stories at once. Think of all of what He's doing to show us and point us to the story of stories that is directly connected to this. The Christmas story. Now, let's go on and see these verses 14 through 17. No longer empty. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's just move through these verses a little bit more closely and, and consider this. What an amazing change of focus happens here. The story in, in, in the first verse is it's all about Boaz and Ruth, right? The, the wedding, and then the honeymoon, and then, whoa, really? You're pregnant, and then it's a boy, just like that, bam, 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 bam. And then all of a sudden, the shift is all the way over to Naomi again. How did we get back to Naomi? And why is the focus so much on her? Why do these women from the town speak as if Naomi had a child? An amazing thing. They hear the echo of Naomi's words. I went away full, she said in chapter 1. Remember? I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. It's as if the townswomen are saying, Hey, Naomi, are you empty? 
Or are you full? Hmm. Blessed be the Lord. You hear their words? You hear their, their faith? You hear their encouragement to Naomi? Who did this? God did this. God did this. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Now, it's interesting because Boaz was the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth because of the wedding. But, but Boaz is a redeemer in the sense now that he and Ruth have had a son. And who is the redeemer spoken of? It's the child. The baby boy is spoken of now as the redeemer of Ruth. Why? Well, he's the name. He's the future. He's the one who carries Elimelech's name forward. May his name be renowned in Israel. Ooh, that's cool. What a prayer. We want his name to be remembered. More on that in a second. They ascribe the work to the Lord. So not only does the author want us to see that God did this, but the town's ladies, the the women of the town who gather around and celebrate with Naomi, they want us to see that God did this as well. Naomi, you do have a future. God has answered your prayer. He's met you in your need. You have a future. Wow. He shall be a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. It's an interesting thing to watch a grandmother and a grandchild. An amazing thing that is. I'm excited about it already. I got a little while you know, to go, but I was telling Ethan and Gracie, I'm going to have so much fun being a grandpa. You just bring those kids over. Let's go. Come on. Right? All the fun. You get to spoil them. No discipline. No diapers. Yes. I can't wait. It's like the best of both worlds. A nourisher of your old age. And then there's, there's a point back to Ruth. Again, you, 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 Feel how they regard Ruth. How her faithfulness and love for Naomi is walked out then publicly for all these people to see. They say of Ruth, by the way, your daughter-in-law, she is better than seven sons. (laughs) Why, Why is that such a bold statement? Does it jump out to you? What are they remembering? It's the same exchange. They say, listen, Ruth is greater than seven sons. And you stood in front of us and said you were empty when she stood next to you. You didn't even acknowledge her presence. You ignored her. You treated her like she didn't even exist when she showed you steadfast love. And here's the thing. You put Ruth there and seven sons over here. You should focus over here. Because she is more of a treasure for you than if you had seven sons. Seven being the the number of completion. What an honor it is for Ruth and what a glory it is to God for her faith and her love that she showed to Naomi consistently and in so many different ways in this story. Incredible. She took the child on her lap and became his nurse, began to be a grandmother, to this child, and all of the ways that that meant. 
There's a lot of significance to this exchange, this taking a, the child upon her lap. It's, it's a, a symbolically basically saying, this is my child that God has provided. This is, this is the child who carries my name as well, right? Even though it's my daughter-in-law, God has, has redeemed me. He's, he's answered my prayer as well. They named him Obed. They named him, who named him Obed? The ladies in the town named him Obed. How does that work? Interesting. Maybe we should do that, okay? Who's going to have a baby next? I think we should do some naming. I, I could have some fun with this. Bible names, Jehoshaphat, right? I mean, we could... No takers. Obed, may his name be renowned. May it be remembered, regarded, important, significant. That's their prayer means servant in this sense clearly they're they're saying he is a servant a servant of god god's servant to do his bidding to accomplish his will obed father of jesse father of david what's interesting about obed is aside from this small interaction here we have absolutely no clue who this man was but his name is renowned is it not the grandfather of the greatest king Israel ever knew. That's amazing. His name is renowned. The prayer is answered. He is the child of a Moabite widow who experienced the lavish grace of God and was grafted into the royal line of Christ. The greatest king. So, roll the credits, right? I mean, if this was a movie, this is the point where the story's over, guys. Oh, man, I wish there was more, but it's over. And so we kind of stand up, right? You ever been there at the movie theater? You stand up, and the credits begin to roll, and you're like, okay, this is pretty much, I don't know why they do that, but credit, credit, credit. Some people, are you out there? Some people have to watch all the credits. Raise your hand, confess, okay? That's weird. (laughs) You're the people I trip on on my way out, okay? I don't understand it. I've never done that. But I was at a movie with the kids, and, and we were heading out, and, and all of a sudden, the movie wasn't done. There's more cartoons going on. I'm, well, hold on a second. So then I'm stuck halfway out, and people are like, sit down, sit down. Okay, you know, come back. I thought it was over. It's like that here, okay? This is not just roll the credits. This is significant. The movie is not yet done. Let me read this. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Wow. Wow. We look back in this genealogy and we look forward in this genealogy. We look back in part, I believe, because of the blessing that was given previously to Boaz and to Ruth, mentioning Perez, right? Going all the way back, the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. So we're, we're 10 generations of a reach here. We're looking back and we're looking forward. And each of these men 
connected by God's faithful weaving of their story to accomplish His perfect will in His perfect time, just as He ordained from the beginning. Pointing us to the most important Bethlehem birthday ever. No, not that of David. It's not that of David. Now, if you read on in the, the Bible, you get to 1 Samuel, which introduces you then to David. That's, that's the whole point. It moves through. Okay, let's, let's learn about David now. That's the handoff. So there you go. In your devotions, you know where to go. 1 Samuel. Okay? But what we're going to do, since we're coming into Easter week, is consider how this genealogy moves us then back to a genealogy we covered previously. Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. Where Ruth and Boaz are mentioned. David the king, the shepherd king, the unlikely king, the one who was picked last, not even present to be anointed by the prophet because he was that little shepherd kid. What, David? Okay, go get David. He's the one. Where was he? Well, he was out in the field. What field? Probably some of the land that Boaz redeemed. Wow, isn't that something? This is the same place, friends. Bethlehem. It's the same place, the same little town, same hills. King David. Wow. Born in Bethlehem. Just like King Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He is the redemption child. He is the focus of this entire story. He's the point of this whole story. And the narrator of this story doesn't just roll the credits assuming that we're going to walk out. He rolls the credits to say, keep reading. It's just getting started. This is just the introduction. Keep reading. Keep reading. Because David is not the high point of the story. Matthew chapter 21 on Palm Sunday, the celebration that we have here today. Hosanna to who? To the son of David. To, to, the, to the son of David, the, the one born in Bethlehem, the greatest king Israel has ever known. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said to Jesus as he rode on the donkey and they laid their coats down that he could could tread upon a path of honor. And they waved palm branches, just like the kids did such a good job with today. They waved the palm branch as to say, Hosanna, prepare the way. Here He comes. He has arrived in triumph. Hosanna in the highest. What does Hosanna mean? What does that mean? It's a special word. It has some incredible meaning. Hosanna is the Greek word uh, taken straight over into English. So we say Hosanna uh, just like the Greek says Hosanna. It's kind of like the word baptizo, right? Which is what my preferred word for baptism would be. That's the way we should say baptism, just baptizo. That's the Greek word. It means to immerse, right? Here, Hosanna in the Greek is uh, a word that is pronounced the same as the Hebrew phrase, Hoshia. Na. Hoshia na. Well, what does that mean? 
It occurs only once in the Bible. Only once does this phrase occur, and it means save. Please, please save. Let me show you. It's Psalm 118. The psalmist writes this. Hoshia na. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That's what Hosanna means. So when you say Hosanna in the highest, you are requesting salvation. Now when Jesus rode in on the donkey on Palm Sunday, the people shouted Hosanna in the highest for a couple of reasons. One, they were longing for salvation. Two, they wanted to use that phrase to just anger the Romans who hated it when they, they yelled that. It was insurrection to say that in the ear of a Roman soldier. That's one of the reasons why they doubled down on the troops. We have roots of an insurrection. Who is this king? What is this political in, insurrectionist riding in on a donkey? They didn't know what to make of it. But, but Israel shouted this, Hosanna in the highest. The problem is, is that they were looking for political deliverance from Rome. They were missing the whole point of why Jesus rode. He didn't ride to the, the, the center of Roman rule. He rode where? To the temple. He rode to the temple. As if to say, that is all about me. And I, I am here to fulfill all of the anticipation of every sacrifice ever given. Every prayer ever offered, it is found, fulfilled in me, Jesus says. The same crowd that shouted Hosanna in the highest just a few days later would be stirred and incited to shout, crucify, crucify. I think in part because they didn't see the deliverance from Rome. Oh, how short-sighted. Oh, we would be there too, though. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would see nothing in Jesus. We would see no Savior. It's only God's grace that we see a Savior, a hope, a Redeemer. Hmm. It's our response this morning. I just want to say that this story of redemption it gives us glimpses into that ordinary day in and day out life in Bethlehem common people with hurts and pains and heartache experiencing the grace of God in an ordinary day experience and it's also the story of redemption that points us to Christ it, it draws our attention to Jesus on almost every level, you see this. Let me just show the compare and contrast from the beginning to the end. Look, we started with famine and we ended with bounty. We began with despair and we finished with hope. We started with mourning and then we finished with dancing, a wedding, a birthday party, celebration. We began with a funeral. We finish with a wedding. Think of that. Think, think of that. Friends, we are born as slaves of sin, lost 
dead, hopeless, despairing of our future, unable to affect change on our sinful way. Walking about in the dark. Haters of the light. Lonely, alone, separated, alienated. Spiritually dead. With a bleak future. But God. But God so loved the world that He gave the Son of David His only Son. And whoever believes in Him shall not taste of that eternal death. Will not perish. But will have life. Forgiveness, a future, new birth, a family, more blessings than you ever imagined. And we will gather when the king returns for a wedding. In fact, it's a wedding feast to celebrate the groom who has ransomed, redeemed, bought back a bride. Ha, that's our story. A bride who didn't have any hope on her own. And he bought her with his blood. He laid down his life. And he won victory. And he said, I'm coming back. And when I do, I am going to gather my church, my bride to myself. And there will be a feast. And we will celebrate. And we will live happily ever after. That's our future. Because of Jesus Christ. Our great Boaz. Who redeemed us. Let's pray. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Oh God, we pray those words as those who see political deliverance doesn't touch our need, our greatest need, O oh Lord, only You can solve. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. We need, we need hope. We need redemption. Forgiveness. We need to be delivered. Lord, we have stored up wrath from You because of our sin against You, because of our rebellion, our, our desiring of our own way, our worship of our own ends, and, and, and just the multiplication of our own idolatries, our failure to regard You, our failure to give thanks to You, our failure to honor You, to, to pursue My will, My way. Oh, Lord, we have stored up wrath that we deserve like wages from Your hand. But you, in your grace, sent your son Jesus to take our wages upon himself, to take our death, our wrath, and pay it in full. We give praise to you for this. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for forgiveness, for, for the fact that you would take out your wrath that we deserve on your son instead of us and punish him and kill him 
put him to death that we might live and be forgiven, be brought in, made sons and daughters, members of your family, all of your grace. What glory is yours? Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. We identify with Ruth in this story in that there's nothing that we bring to the table. We bring nothing and you bring everything. And you blow us out of the water with your love. You bring us in. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Savior. It is our heart's cry, save us, O Lord. And your answer, I have in Jesus, I have. Lord, I pray if any are here who have not yet turned to trust your Son, Jesus, as Savior, that today would be the day that they would bend their knee, turn from their sins, and run to Jesus with all their might and trust Him to forgive, to redeem, to bring them into a home, a family. Lord, we claim Your promises. You are faithful. Your love, Your kindness abounds. We worship you this week as we enter into the journey of Jesus. I pray that it would experience a new, fresh reality in our lives as we move this week through day by day, celebrating your goodness and your grace for your glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.